message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Genesis 48 this morning. I see Charlie. Joshua in here today. Yeah, Joshua's here today. Okay, these are at least two of my cross-country guys. I've got a question for you this morning, okay? Uh, you know, you're running a race. Let's say it's just two miles. And it's been through the woods, up hills and all kinds of stuff. And then you come out of the woods and you're kind of in that final approach and you actually begin to see the finish line. Do you usually slow up or do you increase in speed? What is the natural kind of thing? Yeah, you know, you're exhausted by that point because you've been running really, really fast for a long time. And yet there's this natural tendency that when you see the finish line, you say, well, man, I'm almost done. And so you just want to run. Well, guys, I realize that that happens in cross country. It happens in a lot of races. You know, it happens even when we're in this series. It's one of those things that can happen really, uh, especially to expository preachers. It's one of those things. Expository preaching is when we try to go like verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you know, along there instead of just picking a uh, kind of a topic and saying, okay, today we're going to talk about truth or whatever. Now that we just let the word of God tell us the story. Well, we've been in this story, this real event of Joseph's life for, for many weeks, six, seven weeks. And uh, last week, Jeff did uh, just a wonderful, wonderful job of of bringing together chapter 46 and 47. And my intention this week was to do 48 and 49, because when you read it, you're going, okay, there's enough there in 48 and 49 to to get a good sermon. And, And guys, I was ready to sprint to Genesis 50, because this is where we've been heading. This is kind of, you know, the 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 capstone of everything. And so we started way over here in chapter 37, and we were kind of saying, okay, in the distance, we know that Genesis 50:20, this truth about the, the sovereign God, that he takes all these things, even when the things that go wrong in this world, even our own evil, and he works them for good. And we've been running and running, and now we're in chapter 48. And we're, I mean, we're like right here, and it's like, okay, there was such a tendency to say, okay, I'll, I'll kind of combine 48, 49, and we'll get to 50, we'll do the capstone next week, we'll be finished, and we'll go on to the next series. And then in my study, I mean, I promise you we won't be here for six hours today, but uh, chapter 48 is one of those where the more you dig into it, the more you hit gold. Have you ever done that to a passage before? You're just kind of reading along in your devotion, and you're going, okay, yeah, that makes good, that's good. But it's not one of those, you know, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you know, you're just kind of, you're going, okay, this is just information. This is not transformational. This is informational. How many times do I have to know how many Jewish people crossed the river or did this? In one way, we can come to chapter 48, and we go, oh, man, this is just some information, you know, Jacob, Joseph's father, also referred to as Israel, you know, he, he's on his deathbed. And, and let's just go to the rest of the story. Let's get back to Joseph. And, and you know, what we see in this is an amazing truth of the New Testament. God is always revealing the gospel, even in the Old Testament. One of the most profound things for we as Christians as we study the Word of God is not to say, okay, there's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. God was this God in the Old Testament and he's this God in the New Testament. No, he's the same God all the way through. What we see is the fullness of the gospel revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We see that finished work. But once we see that, guys, 
We can go back to places like Genesis chapter 45 from a couple weeks ago. In Genesis chapter 48, we're going, my goodness, the gospel is all over this. The grace of God, the hope of God. In this text, we begin to see that uh, uh, by this time, his, Joseph and his brothers, they were estranged for many, many years, uh, almost 20 years. By this time, they've been reunited. His father, Jacob, uh, uh, they've been in Egypt now for at least 14 years. Some people would say, say 17, 20 years. Because remember, the famine came, and there was provision that God had made available through leading Joseph. And so Jesus, Joseph is kind of second in charge of all of Egypt, and they've lived there. And, and, and so they've been kind of getting used to Egypt for a while. And all this is part of God's plan. That as much as they want to go back and there's just going to be this promised land that God has for them, right now this is God's plan for them. So they're living there. And God has brought this original dream of Joseph that he gave to Joseph when Joseph was just a young teenage boy. He said, one day your family's going to bow down to you and you're going to be in charge and you're going to have authority. And all that's happened. So really all that has to happen, the rest of the story, to run and spread over to this, is just kind of finish out Joseph's life. But before we finish out Joseph's life, God gives us the ending of Jacob's life, his father's life. Jacob has not been kind of the central star of Genesis 37 through 50. He's been a, a kind of almost a minor player. He just kind of plays the part of Joseph's dad. And yet this whole chapter really... God uses him and brings him to the forefront and begins to, to show us something. And, and it's one of those chapters that can be very, very confusing. And if we just skipped over, if we sprint it through this, guys, I think we would miss one of the great, great treasures of the Old Testament and especially of this story. If you fail this, if, or if you don't know the answer to this, don't, don't be embarrassed. Does anybody know, and, and it, it can't be somebody from our life group this morning, okay? <laughs> if we said, where is the Hall of Fame of Faith in the New Testament? How many people kind of know where, what chapter that is? Okay, John, your, your dad's here, so I mean the pressure is on you, okay? Hebrews 11. And what we have in Hebrews 11 is this uh, list of these people that just were people of great faith, and the writer of Hebrews says, you know, I'm going to give you some examples of people that you can just see that God has blessed with faith and, and have followed and been faithful. And so we get all this. And uh, I asked the, the group this morning, now, now this is some of, you know, these people rich in, in biblical history. And I think they thought it was a trick question. And I, I said, is Jacob in the Hall of Fame of Faith? And a couple said, yes. And a couple said, I don't think so. But the majority said, I don't know. You know, I, I don't have Hebrews 11 memorized. Do you know that Jacob, he's the grandson of Abraham, he is in the Hall of Fame. And yet, and here's the other thing. Joseph, I mean, Jacob lives for 147 years. For, for those that say, okay, I just don't believe that. Well, we can talk about that later, about you know, how people did live a lot longer back in those days. He lives for 147 years. And... Uh, out of 147 years worth of data to work with, do you know what the Hall of Fame moment of his life is? What we read in Genesis 48. And it really seems kind of obscure. I mean, when we talk about Hall of Fame players, we're going, okay, 
you know, this player, you know, Tom Brady's going to be because he has this many championship rings. And, and this guy is going to be in the Hall of Fame because he's hit more home runs than anybody else. And this guy's going to be in the Basketball Hall of Fame because, you know, he scored more points, had more rebounds, or he had whatever. And we look at the stats of their life, and we say, okay, this is why they belong in this place. And yet when it comes down to Jacob's life, this man who, the grandson of Abraham, I mean, born into a, a life of promise to carry on this covenant, to be a part of this covenant people, what does it come down to? Well, you look. Hebrews 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. That's all they said. Now, how many of y'all know exactly what they're talking about there? Okay. A, a few people do. A lot of us would say, yeah, what does it mean? By faith, Jacob went dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Okay. We haven't really heard that much about the sons of Joseph. But what does that mean? And out of 147 years worth of stuff, this is what you're going to be known for? You know? It'd be like taking your life. Please, let's say that you live to be, we're, we're going to be generous. So we're going to say 105, okay? Just, just because, and, and we're going, okay. And you've been sheriff's department, you've been this, you've been married. You've married way, way up to Debbie and all these, all these things that can be said about you. And what we said, and, and you've been, you know, you love your dogs and you, you take care of all this good stuff. Uh, you've been such a help in, in, in church work and all that. And we said, one day Cleve went to Walmart and he bought a clock. We're going, okay, we're going to sum up 105 years of Cleve's life, all these other things that, that Cleve was involved in that we would think, man, this has great meaning. And somehow we're going to put on his tombstone the man who went to Walmart and bought a clock. Well, why would we pick this obscure, th- this obscure thing that Cleve did once in his life that doesn't seem to have a lot of meaning. And why would we you know, kind of put that on the tombstone? Well, in a way, this is the, the setting that we have here. The, this is the story that in one way can be very sad because Jacob, Joseph's father, is about to pass away. Uh, it's the first time in the Bible that we actually hear the word in verse 1 when it talks about that he was sick, and so they've called the, the family in, so to speak, and Joseph had come. It's the first time that we really read in Genesis, in the Bible, that someone is... Sick. You know, we know that people have been sick before, but it's the first time that we really have mentioned this. And, and Jacob, this grandson of Abraham, with all the uh, promise of his life, unfortunately approaches this day at 147 with more misses than hits. Born into a, a covenant of promise. I mean, when Abraham is your grandfather... You're in tall cotton. And yet, if we really look at the life of of Jacob, guys, sometimes that heaviness, it it created almost a heaviness in his life rather than a blessing. It's like, man, I have to do all these things right because, you know, this covenant's with me. And he kind of got it wrong that somehow he had to perform for God rather than God being faithful to him, as we often do. 147 years in... And you've had this promise to live out. You're this covenant people. You are the grandson of, of the one that the covenant was made. And you know, now you have sons. You have these 12 sons. And, and you think, okay, this covenant's going to go on. And, and all this time, you've had opportunity to, to, to 
be a righteous guy, to, to do right. You do know right from wrong. But if we surveyed his life, we're going to see more misses than we see hits. I'm not trying to condemn the man because that, that man is me too. And it's you. It's all of us. That, that sometimes we have more misses in life than we have hits. But when you're 147 and you're on your deathbed, and all of a sudden you look back and, and you begin to think about some of the things in your life. Uh, he was a, a man of deception. Sometimes as, as scholars and and commentators, we said, well, you know, but it was for a spiritual purpose. It was a godly purpose. No, no, he was a, a deceiver. His name means deception. <laughs> and so when he gets his brother to, to trade the birthright for a, a bowl of soup or stew, that was deception. When it's time for the blessing of his father, he doesn't go in there and go, you know, I'm so desirous of this blessing. Will you please kind of, you know, throw uh, order out of the way and bless me? No, he dresses up like his brother to the point of getting all furry, you know, with, with things, smelly, because his, his brother's an outdoorsman, and he tries, and his father can't see. He's old enough where he can't see, and he deceives his father. That's part of his story. It's one of manipulation. There's time, you know, he was manipulated, but he manipulated others. Somebody took advantage of him, said, okay, you want to you marry this daughter, Rachel? She's your, the love of your life? Okay, I'll give her to you if you work for seven years. And then what happened? After seven years, he said, oh, did I say Rachel? What I meant was Leah. <laughs> it's actually the ugly sister. No, <laughs> it's one of those, you're going to marry her. If you want, you know, if you want Rachel, it's going to be another seven years. And so, I mean, that would feel like a burn. It was his uncle that did this. And so opportunity comes up. His uncle makes a deal about the livestock. And he says, okay, you give me all the speckled ones. Well, speckled Sheep and goats are not, uh, you know, they're abnormal rather than normal. There's not that many of them. And somehow, (laughs) Jacob was able to produce where the mass of the tribe comes out striped and speckled. He he was a manipulator. He was a deceiver. And he carried on the generational sin, as we've talked about many weeks, of favoritism. Has 12 sons, and yet there's this one son, Joseph, that just really stands out among the other to the point where he really does show excessive uh, favoritism to him. Truth is, uh, a life born into opportunity with this covenant promise, he missed more than he hit. And we see that as as we open up, look at Genesis chapter 1 and and verse 2. Can you imagine coming to a place, 147 years old, number one, can you even imagine 147 years old? Okay, number two, <laughs> I'm like you, Vicky. I don't want 100. If this is 55, I sure don't want, you know, 155. <laughs> but you're near death. You're reflecting back over your life, and you're not able to point to success, 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 success. You're, you're able to find a little bit of things that you did right, but you can find out a lot of things that you really did wrong. And can you imagine being 147 years on your deathbed, you know that you're about to die, and looking back with a life of regret, of missed opportunities, of drop balls. I, I can't think of anything that would be heavier than that. Look, look what happens in verse 1 and 2. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel... That's his other name. Remember, Jacob and Israel. 
God changed his name. So when you see Israel, it's Jacob. When you see Jacob, it's Israel. Okay, same person. Then Israel summoned his strength and he sat up in bed. In other words, have you been there when, when people near death? They haven't. They've been unconscious for the last 10 days. And by some miracle of grace and, and gift of God, they're able to kind of come into consciousness and say goodbye to the family. It happens even today. And, and here we see him kind of summoning his strength. And he sets up in bed because Joseph and his two grandsons are there. And here's this man, tremendous opportunity to be a man of faith. And, and yet, he looks back on his life and he, he, I, I think that he's beginning to say, man, you know, I have a lot of regret. I wanted to finish well. I mean, don't we all want to finish well? Jeff, how old are you now? Old man? 45. 45. Hey, what? Jeff, is is there a part of you already at 45 that wants to finish well? Of course. Craig, I think you just uh, hit, hit the bridge of 40. Is that correct? I didn't say the, the high point. I just said, uh, you know, the bridge of 40. Give me a very long bridge, okay? <laughs> Craig, already in your mind, in your heart, do you want to finish well? I, I think we could ask them, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, not that, again, I'm not trying to be biased against the youngest that are here. I don't think I thought about that at 12. I don't think I was thinking about that at 15. I know I wasn't thinking about it at 18, and maybe even the early 20s, but somewhere along the way in the 20s, late 20s, and then 30s, but especially the 40s, and all those times, I began to think more and more, not that, oh man, I could die any day, but we begin to see the fragility of life. We begin to see life is just really fragile. And we really do begin to think, man, I just want to finish well. I want to finish my career well. I want to finish my family well. I want to finish life well. And here's this guy, 147, and you can't go back and do 147 years again. You got what you got. Here's the hope of the gospel, guys. And you're going to hear that a lot this morning. Who you were yesterday does not have to determine who you will be tomorrow. Even at 147. Who you were yesterday does not have to be who you are tomorrow. Now, now let's take this, because there's three perspectives that I can come from. I can come from uh, uh, no adversity toward Tony Robbins. I know many of y'all like Tony Robbins and positive thinking, and, and there's some profit to that, okay? So, Eric, I know he, you like Tony Robbins a lot and, and all that, you know, and there's profit. But this isn't just hopeful thinking. Who you were, I mean, can you imagine that you're at... A big rally, Tony Robinson, he comes out, who you were yesterday. Now you repeat after me. does not have to be who you are tomorrow. Can you imagine that happening at a kind of a, a focus group, kind of a celebration? Uh, it's not Amway anymore, but uh, some of the, the new things that are sold. Have you ever been to some of those where they get all the, uh, like the old Amway? And you can almost, I mean, if you, you go to Sam's early enough in the morning years ago, you used to be able to see them having the little pep rally. And I can see who you were yesterday. It's not who we have to be tomorrow. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, guys. There's nothing wrong. 
But either this is a hope that we have just based on, okay, think positive, think positive, or there has to be some truth. Is this really an attainable thing that I really don't have to be tomorrow who I have been for the last 147 years? Is that hope in me or is that hope beyond me so that I truly can say, man, this has been my life up to now. More drops than catches, more strikes than hits. Because here's the thing, when you're 20-something, there's a part of our, our, our physical thinking that thinks, okay, I got tomorrow. I, I can, I'll grow up tomorrow. I'll start playing real life. I'll get serious about it. How many of y'all thought like that 18 to 22, some of y'all carried it into your 30s. <laughs> you know, and you just thought that, man, I got, I got tomorrow. But none of us, none of us have been 147 on our deathbed, knowing that we're near our last breath, and thought, my, my goodness, I was, I was going to grow up one of these days. My tomorrow, all these hopes of who I was going to be tomorrow, I don't have that hope anymore. Really, who I am is the balance of all my past days. That's what everything but the gospel tells you. And there's a reality to that, that without the gospel, that is, it's the culmination of our days. And and someday, if they list on our tombstone, here's what he was, it's going to be those things that we accomplished during all those years. And they may be nice and put more of the catches than the drops, and more of the hits than the strikes. But in reality, when you're the one on that deathbed, you're that one that's sitting there and you're reflecting back on your life. If you're Jacob, you're going back, man, my boys are a mess. My grandfather would be so disappointed. Here I'm this, we're this covenant people and I've dropped the ball. I haven't really lived like a covenant person. My life's been filled with deception and manipulation and all these different things. Let me give you three things this morning from God's Word. Not opinion. Not positive thinking, even though there's nothing wrong with positive thinking. From, from the Word of God, based on the Gospel, based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, of three reasons why your tomorrow can be different from your yesterday. Okay. Now, number one, because God is faithful in when, even when we are unfaithful. Do you see what I did there? We put all this focus on us, and all of a sudden, if, if we're going to have this truth, guys, the focus has to be off of us. Because the truth is, maybe we do have that turning point in life. Maybe there is that come-to-Jesus meeting. Have you had a come-to-Jesus meeting in your life? Sometimes, you know, it's that car wreck. And you go, man, how did I get out of that alive? Other times, it's when the door's been slept, uh, shut on you, and that wife or that husband walks out and goes, it's over. Maybe it's been in that room when they say, you your child has this. And you realize that there's nothing within your power that you can do to change that diagnosis. You can do all the helpful things and all this, but you're not going to be able to change that. And you come to those times in your life and you're going, my goodness. Hopefully God has given us some of those times in our lives so that we've been able to do this. But guys, that is not God saying, okay, now at this point of your life, Ricky Fitzpatrick, you've lived this way for this many years. Now I want you to finish out so that you can have this many years and that you live for me. Because here's the tragedy of that. 
if you're Dustin's age, how old are you now, buddy? Forty-one. Then you're hoping. Okay, if you're if you're come to Jesus meeting, it's today at forty-one. I know you already had yours, and it was an airplane. It's a terrific. I mean, truly terrific story. I mean, they were going to crash and burn. I mean, he let him. I'll get him to share his testimony one time. Uh, and that's not when he began to live for Jesus. He began to live for Jesus before that. But that was a come-to-Jesus meeting that day, wasn't it? When, when you're thinking, I, I'm going down with this plane. But let's say that those events had not happened in your life. You better hope that you hit 82, 83, 84. Because here's the mentality, guys, that somewhere in our life that we think, okay, if I've done 41 years of not living that seriously, I better get 41 years under the belt to live pretty seriously and on purpose. The tragic event of that, the tragic lie of that from Satan is what if you're 60? Well, you've got to live to 120? Here's the other tragedy of that. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but you answer this within your mind and your spirit. How many of you have had come to Jesus meetings and yet two weeks later, two months later, two years later, you were right back where you started before that come to Jesus meeting. Our hope is not in us just becoming better people, guys. How many times do I have to say that? Our hope is on the faithfulness of God because we, by nature, are kind of an unfaithful people. It doesn't mean that we don't have moments of faithfulness. Jacob was a faithful guy sometimes. He's a person of the covenant. His grandfather is Abraham, and yet he drops the ball more than he catches it. He strikes more than he hits. At 147, that would be a sad way to go to your deathbed, looking back on a life without promise. And yet here's the promise of God. Look at verse 3 and 4. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me and Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Now he wasn't talking about the day before, the week before. This had happened much prior in his life. And what he has is he looks from 147-year-olds on his deathbed, he looks back, and when he says, okay, I may not have always really followed God hard, but one thing, God has made me this promise. He hasn't been able to count on me, but here's one thing I found out, I can count on him. Verse 4, and he said to me, Behold, I will make you a fruitful I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you like a company of peoples and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Does that sound kind of like what God promised Abraham? Hey, more than the sand of the sea. Your people are going to be so, they're going to be all over the place. You're going to be so fruitful and I'm going to give you a land. And at 147 years, looking back on his life, he doesn't go, man, failure, failure. He goes back and he says, okay, here's my one hope. Here's my hope in all of this, that God in his grace and his mercy gave a promise to me and that he would be faithful even though I have been quite unfaithful. God had made a covenant and a promise. Guys, if all the hope is on your ability to keep a promise. How many in this room will stand at the end of your life? If it's based on Jesus keeping his promise, hey, I died for you, all your sins are forgiven, I've taken all of your sins and I put them on me, and and all of my righteousness God has now imputed to you. 
if that's our hope, and that is 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is the gospel. That's our hope. It's the faithfulness of God why we have been an unfaithful people. And I know sometimes people hear that and go, well, Bobby, it's not like we do all bad. I know we don't all do bad. Jacob wasn't all bad. But at 147, what do you think stood out, guys? The deceptions and the, the drops or the hits and the home runs? Truth is, he had a pretty you know, boisterous bunch of, you know, he, he didn't have a whole bunch on his resume to point to. How many of you today have aced the test of faith? Faith, faith is uh, believing in God and all that God is and being faithful to that call upon our lives to follow him. How many of you have aced the test? Raise your hand if you have aced the test of faith. So we're in good company. Jacob is in good company. That's why we needed one who did it perfectly. Because there's not one human being. Billy Graham did not do it perfectly. Now, I'd like to have his resume. I'd like to have the things that he's done for the kingdom of God. I'd love to say, man, look back on my life and, and here's the blessings. Look at all these books and these preachings and, and these people that I just loved on and all these different things. Who wouldn't want the resume of Billy Graham? And, and yet he did not walk perfectly, guys. He needed a perfect one to walk that way for him. And so this allowed Jacob to come to an end of his life and he's about to pass on to his children a heritage. And he looks at these two sons of Joseph and look what happens in verse 5. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Basically what he's doing, he's adopting them. He said, I know, I know physically that they're your children, they're my grandchildren, but I am adopting them and they are now going to be my sons. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. When we see the letter tells of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, sometimes we will see Joseph's name there, but a lot of times we won't see Joseph's name, even though he's one of the 12. You know what two names that we'll see? These two right here. Why? Because of what's happening on this deathbed at 147. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of successes to give them, but he says, here's the one thing I do have to give you. I know that God has made a covenant with us, and we are covenant people, and I pass on this covenant blessing to these two. There's a lot of other things that are going on there, but he adopts them. And what does this have to do with our, our story today? Uh, well, this. Who you were yesterday does not have to be who you are tomorrow. Why? Because not only is God faithful even when we're unfaithful, God is always working things for his glory and for our good. In one way, we see that personified in the Christian life in Romans 8.28, that God is always working for his glory and for his good for the people that are called of him. And yet I would extend that certainly that is always what God is doing in the life of the believer, uh, even when we drop the ball, when we're striking out. But I would say that God is working even in the midst of humanity by his grace, what we call common grace, that he's still working grace upon their lives. Not always to the same end, but certainly he's working grace there. Left up to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this blessing 
would have already been diminished, guys. That they didn't have perfect records. But God keeps pursuing them, forgiving them, and restoring them. Can you imagine how fragile Jacob's hope of God bringing this promise to his sons and his grandsons as he reflected back over his sinfulness? Let me go down a short list. His oldest son, Reuben, incest. His next two sons, Simeon and Levi, their sister was raped, and in their vengeance, they go out and they basically massacre a whole tribe, a clan of people. The, The list goes on and on. These brothers conspire against Joseph, bring back this coat of many colors and said, a tiger, a lion, some wild animal got him. This is not the kind of stellar family that that you put up in front of the church and say, okay, y'all just follow our example. This is a a, a broken family. This is really a hurting family. And, And in their own thing, there's no redemption in the works that they're doing. And yet in the midst... Even of their rebellion, God is working things for his providential care. And that's when, when God brings to, to this man's mind on his deathbed at 147, he brings back a hope that is alive. Look at verse 11. One of the examples of the hope that we see here, and Israel said, remember that's Jacob, Jacob, Israel, he he said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Now, now why is that important? Because he said, you know, for years, remember if you're following the story, if you've been here, it was at least 17 years, maybe even 20 years between the time that, that Joseph was gone and the brothers reported that he was dead and had been killed to the point where, uh, he reveals himself that he's now second in command of all of Egypt. 17, 20 years. And for 17, 20 years, Jacob, the father, thinks that his favorite son is dead. I don't know about you, but it, you know, that kind of ticks me a little bit. God, are you just playing with me here? When God's working something in the background, and yet we don't have revelation of it. I mean, honestly, God knows your heart, guys. He knows our mind. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been a little bit angry with God because he does things a little bit differently? And honestly, you said, you know, okay, God, if it was me, I would have done it this way. We have all done that before. And Jacob is no... But yet he looks back and he says, you know, look, Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. After 20 years, I had given up hope. And not only do I see your face, but you brought your, my grandchildren to me. I'm a, I, hopefully I'm going to be a grandfather March 11th or thereabout. And the love that I have already, priceless, undefinable, isn't it, Sherry? What is he doing? Is he just reminiscing and saying, well, at least life didn't turn out? No, it's what he said. God, you have shown grace. For 20 years, I could really be mad. And there was times, I promise you, remember Joseph said, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Jacob said, if Benjamin doesn't come back, you might as well put me in Sheol, which is the place of the dead. You might as well just, I'm going to die. 
He didn't look back to that 17, 20-year span as a favorable time. He didn't sit there, you know, I've been saying my prayers every day, and every day God has just reached into my heart and said, but there's hope, but there's hope. No, for 17, 20 years, this guy is a, 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 just a mess. I don't think there was a day in 17, 20 years that he did not think, where's my son? And I promise you, just because I'm a father and I'm human, that there probably wasn't a day in those 20 years that he didn't say, God, why? And yet now on his deathbed, that glimmer of hope, and he goes, I didn't ever think I would see you again. And not only do I see you, but my grandsons are here. See, by this point, he's lost. I mean, at 147, you're entitled to lose your sight. Okay. Cataracts, whatever it is, you're entitled to see dimly. And yet I would challenge you that there was never a time in Jacob's life that he saw more spiritually clear. His physical eyes may have given out many years before, but his spiritual eyes were now more in tune than they had ever been before. And that brings us to the third truth, and then we'll close this morning. We can say, guys, that our yesterday does not have to be our tomorrow because God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. We can say that because God is always working, even if it's in the background and we have no real sign of it, God is always working things, first and foremost, for his glory, but but in that are good. Kelly, you posted something yesterday on Facebook, and I'm forgetting exactly what it was, but it was kind of like, uh, and I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to royally mess it up. But it's something about like, you know, that we would, if we just knew what God was doing, you know, that we'd have that much more faith. I, I just really totally messed that up. But, uh, but it was something about, uh, yeah, about God's timing. And that, if, if, that we would answer the things just like God would and we would do the exact things that God would do. And I believe that with all my heart. But it's like the quote I put in the bulletin this morning. God may be doing 10,000 things in your life, and we may be aware of three of them, guys. He's always working for his glory and for, his, for your good. And then the third thing, God gives against human conven- uh, convention to carry out his purposes. That's why we can say your yesterday does not have to determine your tomorrow. When God goes against human convention, it can be, I, I'm the first one to say, it can be very frustrating. I've told God on more than one occasion what I thought would be a better path. But the blessing of God not being a, a, a God of convention and doing the unconventional is the grace that saves us. Why would you take your perfect son who's done nothing but bring glory to you and let him be the sacrifice when these rebellious people who do not follow you well and who rebel against you and do not give you the time of day and you you, you take your perfect son and you put him on the cross and you give forgiveness to these people over here. Folks, that does not follow convention. And you and I and our salvation, we're the recipients of this unconventional love that God has for us. 
What happens in this story is kind of uh, amazing. That he really does uh, kind of reenact or, or kind of bring about a, a new hope. Long before there was a, a 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know that verse? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, behold, behold the new has come. What's the word behold mean? I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't, what does it mean to you, Seth? Pay close attention, man. The oldest pastor, behold, pay, pay close attention to this. The new has come. What, what happens here? Go back to Genesis 48. Look at verse 13 and 14. Jacob adopts Ephraim and, and Manasseh, and then he goes to bless them as sons, and look what happens. Verse 13. And Joseph took them, Ephraim, and his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near. Okay, this is the dad lining up the sons, not in alphabetical order, but in chronological order. This is the oldest. This is the second oldest. Because I'm left-handed, but in the Bible, the right hand is the hand of higher blessing. Okay, so he, he, Joseph gets his sons, and okay, this is the oldest, and this is going to be the second oldest. And he's going to bless both of them. Both are going to get blessed. But this is the higher blessing. And Joseph conventionally thinks, like most of us would think, the higher blessing. The girls are seven years apart. Most of the problems that we had was the older one going, well, I didn't get to do that when I was 13. And the younger one saying, why can't I do this? even though I'm not 13. And if you have at least two children, and they're at least one or a year, even if they're a year apart, they're still going to kind of argue over those things. But especially if there's a little bit of distance, oh my goodness. And, and so this is what's going on. There's an order that you think, okay, I'm the oldest. With oldest should come privilege, should come something. So Joseph lines up his sons, and he's ready for, for his dad to give this blessing to, to the higher blessing with the right hand and the lower blessing. Look what happens. Verse 14, And Israel stretched out his right hand and he laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Now you're the older daughter, right? And it comes this time of blessing. You're just thinking, man, I, I'm going to get this blessing. And all of a sudden, mom goes, man. Something's going awry here. This isn't as it should be. And it's not the boys that say anything. It's Joseph. And you know the first thing that comes to Joseph's mind? Poor old dad. He's 147. <laughs> he can't see. Senility has kicked in pretty big. And he just doesn't know what he's doing. Verse 17 and 18, and we're ready to close. When Joseph saw that his father delayed his right on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. 
And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this is the one that is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Dad, Dad, I'm trying to be respectful. You're messing it up here. This is the older one. I don't know if you just can't see, if your mind is kind of leaving you, but, but let me get this right. And, and he takes, do you think Joseph is a, kind of a healthy guy? And he takes the hand of his 147-year-old father. And the Hebrew word here is that he, he, he just doesn't go, okay. He clenches it. It's a very aggressive, strong word. And he clenches the father. And he's trying to move the father's hand. And listen to the father's response. Verse 19. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, this younger together, or this younger brother, shall be the greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. Let me wrap that up. 147-year-old, can't see past his hand. Maybe the mind's slipping a little bit. Says to Joseph, his strong son. Joseph, I haven't got a whole bunch of things right in this life. But I promise you, I'm getting this right. Because this is what God has told me to do. Your yesterday does not have to be your tomorrow, guys. Not because you start trying harder. Not because you obey a little bit more. Not because you put more effort into it. But because of the grace of God. Because there's this, this is the hope of the gospel. But I may never be on my deathbed at 147. And I may not look back on a life of drop balls and strikeouts rather than hits and touchdowns. But that I can look back and I can see the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I can see the faithfulness of God when I was unfaithful. And I can see that even though I didn't understand it and it caused me much pain and much questioning of God and his motives, that God was working always for his glory and for my good. And I can rest assured on that day that this unconventional God that should have put full blessing on Christ and the curse of my sin on me changes his hands. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says he took all of my sin and he placed it on righteous Christ. And he took all of his righteousness and he imputed it to me. This is our hope, guys. This is our only hope. Will I still question tomorrow the the things of God? Yeah, because I'm a frail creature. And you mess with my kids or my family, and and I've got triple the questions, okay? I, I get it. But here's the hope, guys. My Yesterday does not have to be my tomorrow. Your yesterday does not have to be your tomorrow. That's religion. And it's not worth a dime. Let me close with this. There's a song by Lauren Daigle out right now. Uh, say, You Say. And, and to me, there's a line in there. The whole thing is a great song. But there's a line in there that to me is the epitome of religion. She says, I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me that I'll never measure up. Here's the line that, that means so much to me. 
Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? That's religion, guys. That's religion. That we look back at 147 and we're going, okay, here's my highs and here's my lows. Oh, my goodness. My highs were not high enough and my lows were really, really low. That's religion. And this is where an unconventional God took his only son and says, man, I throw convention out. And I switch my hands. And I put my hand of blessing on you. I put my hand in blessing on you. You say that I'm loved. You say I can't, uh, when I can't feel a thing. You say that I'm strong when I think I'm weak. You, you say that I'm held when I'm falling short. When I don't belong, you say that I'm yours. This is our hope. Not in feelings. Feelings are going to be deceiving, guys. Feelings up and down. And they really do. Feelings often go with, did I catch today or did I drop it? Did I hit a home run today or did I strike out? Feelings, religion goes up and down. And the hope of Christ is that we can look back, whether it's 147 or any day of our life, and go back and say, I am secure, not in what I have accomplished, but what Christ has done for me. And this is our hope. Your yesterday does not have to determine your tomorrow with a living God that does unconventional things and offers you grace, forgiveness, and a new life through His Son. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. We thank You. Father, thank You that we did not sprint toward the finish line and kind of just skip over chapter 48, Father. What seems to be somewhat of an obscure kind of passage. An old man giving a blessing to two grandsons. Father, there's so many things in this passage that that kind of bewilder us, and yet, Father, what we see is the gospel. What we see is hope for us. And, Father, I pray that we would never have to reach a deathbed at 147 to be able to look back and, and find the saving grace. But, Father, that this very day that we can say, hey, God... It is a miracle that I'm even still alive right now. By your grace, I'm alive. And I give you, I trust my life with you. I trust my life, not to religious, and me trying to get a, a, a better, more moral life, making better choices than I've made in the past. My, I put my trust in what Christ has done for me. And out of that relationship and out of the filling of your Holy Spirit, then we can become these people that follow after righteousness. So, Father, today, will you encourage the one that looks back on the life and says, I've dropped it more than I've caught it? Father, today, would you encourage the one who's made a promise to you you before and those come to Jesus meetings, hey, this time I'm really serious, this time I really mean it. And yet, two months later, two years later, maybe even two days later, they were right back to where they were before. Father, bring hope where there is no hope. We love you and we thank you, Father. And we stand now in reflection of you and your call upon our lives as we pray all this in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.com.
www.ontheroad.org or find us on Facebook.